welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Couldn't be better, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. And Lance, for this episode, we are releasing an, a Get Vocal live show that we did a few weeks ago. And we had our friend Michelle Kazaba, who is a prosecutor from the state of New York, uh, Shelly Kaz. And, uh, and we have Jennifer Carroll, whose father and stepmother were victims of the Golden State Killer. We had had Jennifer Carroll on Crawl Space uh, a little while ago, and we thought it would be uh, a good conversation to bring her back to get vocal. And so we reached out to her. She was busy at the time, and we were scheduling our shows, and we didn't even expect this interview to happen. We didn't expect this conversation between Michelle and Jennifer to happen because we scheduled Michelle. She agreed, and and that would have just been a, a great conversation as is. Right, because we were talking about the Golden State Killer anyway, because this was when, the week that he pled guilty. Right, the the week that people heard his voice say guilty when the charges were coming down and uh, really amazing moments in the courtroom. And Jennifer was super busy with all that. She was super busy with um, preparing for his, his plea arrangement. She was super busy with the documentary that HBO was doing. And... At the last minute, she emailed and said, hey, are we still doing something? Can we do something tonight? And Michelle was gracious enough to say, yeah, bring her on. We'd love to have this conversation. And it just turned into this amazing conversation. We went well over our one-hour mark that we have uh, on Get Vocal because everybody just kept hanging in there. Everyone was still contributing, and Jennifer was talking about these uh, moments in the courtroom uh, where you know he's wearing this clear mask, and everybody who uh, was affected by his crimes is looking at him with their COVID masks on, which even describing it right now still gives me the chills, like how poetically the poetic justice in that is is incredible to me uh, just like how the universe will work sometimes in such a way and uh there are so many moments like that in this interview i think people who contributed on get vocal really were in for a pleasant surprise and the listeners right now are really in for a pleasant surprise yeah and so i think we're going to break this one up into two parts uh, as well and so I hope you enjoy part one and part two will be released tomorrow. So thank you very much. And check out Jennifer Carroll's site. There are some links in the show notes. She also does a podcast called The Lawyer's Daughter. Very cool stuff. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we hope you enjoy this two-parter recorded live on Get Vocal a few weeks ago. Everybody, welcome. It's Thursday night. It's the Crawl Space Gossip Pod. What's going on? I'm Tim Polari here, as always, with Lance Reedstern. What's up, Lance? What is going on? It is a it is the greatest night of the week. It's Thursday. It's get vocal. We're gonna interact with a lot of people here. The chat room's already filling up. We got Mike Morford sitting down there, obviously not wearing pants. <laughs> Morph, what's going on? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I, it's been a rare thing getting invited on in your stuff lately. I'm going through withdrawal. Oh shit! I know we need to. We need you back. I have a feeling Michelle is faking her camera troubles. I think that. I think it's a little bit a, uh, a little bit humid in her neck of the woods, and I think she's afraid of a little uh, hair frizz. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of hair frizz, and I cannot fake the spazzing that's going on on my end right now. If I wanted to, well, why are you spaz? Are you spazzing, or is this a cat spaz, or what's going on? 
maybe a little bit of both, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'm just trying to get this camera working. I mean, if, if only I had that crisp, crisp HD that Lance has. Hey, I suffered before I got the HD. You know, we all suffer. It's all about the power cable adapter. It is. It's the power cable. You know what I'm talking about, Tim. You've got the power cable adapter. I know what you're talking about. And Tim's hair always looks really good. So, like, I'm, I'm also, I'm really. just kind of failing in all departments today. It's fluffy um, today. It's got a poop. Bouncy. Light. Fluffy. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try, I'm going to try this again. You guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll uh, turn our attention here to Morph first because Morph does have to go, I think, at 930, right? Is that, ac- is that accurate, Mike? Or a little before? Okay. Well, tell us about uh, the big news this week in the true crime world, which you have been a part of this world um, very, really closely, uh, directly. It was the uh, Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, finally owning up to all of his uh, evil deeds. Um, That's right. It was just something, and I think, I don't know if you're going to have talk again, but the people that were in that courtroom must have just been in awe because I was... I was in awe just watching the live stream of it and to hear him say over and over again, guilty. And I admit, I just, I never thought I'd hear him say those words. So for me, I was just, it was very satisfying. And we have, uh, I just want to raise a glass because we have Jen Carroll in the chat room as well. And um, Mike, maybe you could introduce Jen Carroll. Jen Carroll's a friend of all of ours and she's got her Queens Peak Red Blend. Cheers to Jen Carroll. And finally, getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of justice this week. Yeah, Jen is awesome. She's got a, a great podcast too that she does. She talks a lot about the case, um, the lawyer's daughter, and she's been an advocate for this case for a long time. Obviously, because it's it's personally affected her. Her father and her uh, stepmother were uh, killed by this maniac, um, so she can give an insight like you know none of us can really give uh from that perspective yeah yeah um while michelle figures out her camera issues i don't know we can we can invite jen on and she there can she talk is. about yep there she michelle, is as usual was being gracious and gave me a space <laughs> um same hair issues by the way uh and yes it's a it's it's a full-bodied red oh so. looks that lovely looks- Delicious, Jen. She's always got going? wine in her hand when I see her on here. Hey, if it's under ten bucks, it's worth drinking. <laughs> well, Jen, how are you? How are you doing? Such an emotional week. You know, one week ago, I was, oh my god, I was dreading this plea with every ounce of my being. And anybody who has, who knows me knows I wanted to go to at least the preliminary hearing. I felt like those 150 witnesses would be enough for us to at least learn more because. Honestly, we're still hanging our whole hat on DNA, right? We just don't know. It's ugh. it's so like, I used a bad metaphor with the reporter's shape, but it's like the dog crapped on the lawn, but you don't know whose dog and how it got there and what time of night it happened. Like, there's so much we don't know. We just know this thing happened. So I didn't want to plead, but here I sit and I'm thrilled. I can't, I had no idea how much real estate D'Angelo um, had taken in my body, my soul, my spirit, my being since his arrest. Because remember, before his arrest, we were all just living our normal lives. We had all figured out a way to cope and we were just moving along. And then that goddamn arrest happened. And frankly, I have lamented it several times because it's 
it made life hard and I had to go back to a place I didn't want to go. And that's been really awful. So while I've watched the rape survivors um, grow and almost soar, you know, as they've changed, I really fell off a cliff. So for me, having hit that plea on Monday is grueling. And my, my, like, you're being kind. I felt like I sat in a toxic soup. Like, it's like the worst movie when they're crawling through the sewers. That's where I felt like I was. And I couldn't get it. I came home and showered. There was nothing else to do. And I'm not the only one. Turns out a lot of people went home and showered. Like, just get it off of me. So, Mm. but I feel lighter and lighter. Almost every hour, I feel better. It's unbelievable. I thought something was wrong with me for the last two years. Like, who is this woman who was just a... I was a VP of marketing in a cybersecurity company. Like I did stuff and then I just couldn't, I just couldn't even get up. And now I realize what it was. I just, I just didn't understand. He had, he had in like entered my body in that kind of exorcist way. Like, Ooh, so it's over. It's over. I mean, we have set, we have sentencing, but as far as I'm concerned that whatever with him, like, and set in our, and our witness impact or victim impact statements are personal and we can do those to the degree that we can handle it. It's not like we have to go sit in that toxic waste dump. So, yay, everybody's celebrating. Some people are eating roast, but I prefer wine. So there you have it. There you go. What was it like hearing his voice? We've heard his voice a couple times. The best part I liked is when Tin Ho from um, Sacramento's district attorney's office said he liked that James Huddle had said he uses that low, gravelly voice when he's mad. But otherwise, it's a high voice. And I'm like... Yeah, God really shortchanged him on the testosterone. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, he, that little, that voice, that wimpy voice, I know it's fake, but I, it's still funny that his voice is naturally high. That kind of cracks me up. Yeah. What do you think about that more? It was that, uh, it, it was, it's kind of startling almost hearing his voice, isn't it? You know, I, from everybody I know that I talked to that has talked to him, they all say it's fake. Um, so I haven't been paying too much attention to that, but I'll tell you what, there were some some pretty mood lightning moments in the courtroom. One of them was Jane walking up to him like three feet away from him. And he's like racing to get out in his wheelchair away from her. He doesn't want to look at her. She's three feet from him. She leans up to him. She's like, you rot in hell. And uh, it, that was awesome. And then the other, the moment that was hilarious was, and I could tell she was going to say something funny because she was fighting back a laugh. She mentions uh, that the victim, Jane, I think she was talking about her case, described a, a very small penis, something that was described in many instances. And she looks over him. She's trying not to laugh in his face. And she looks over at him when she says it. And it was just like a big uh, screw you from everyone. This is for you. I just... It was uh, it lightened the mood and and there was applause and and cheering and stuff in the crowd. It was just uh, really cool. It was interesting as Jane approached the stage. I was sitting, I was way too close, honestly, and I I wasn't sure what she was doing. But what I thought was interesting is that the we didn't have bailiffs necessarily. We had a lot of deputies that were there working as as bailiffs, and he watched her. And I really commend him because. You know, she's not supposed she's not supposed to approach the defendant at all. And he just kind of he didn't overreact like he just and if you if you watch it, he's he's mirroring her, but he stops, which was I thought 
a good call because I didn't I didn't know what she was doing either. But I'm like, oh, don't screw this up. Like, oh, we're, all, we're halfway done. Like, we're more than halfway done. I was really happy that the d- deputy just kind of a lot of people don't watch. They don't pay attention. They react first before they really take a moment to see what's really going to play out. And so I was really grateful that he just let that moment happen. And I know Jane apparently had insisted that Amy include that. So I went and thanked Amy Halliday for she's Sacramento for including that because I said, you know, we needed there was no way to have other than our standing. And then we all stood for victim number one who's in the hospital. Um, we didn't have a way to have to to share the moment. Right. It was so individual other than being there and sitting through it, and knowing you guys were all watching, which I have to tell you was really powerful, knowing you guys were watching. Um it, we didn't have a way to share it. And so, Mike, to your point, that that laugh, that just that moment was something we could share because we didn't it just we were supposed to be quiet. So, yeah, that was really it was really powerful. That's great. Bill has a question. Was the was a standing planned? So last week, Chris uh, Padretti, and if you don't know her and if you do know victims of trauma who want help, she's actually started a group on Facebook, a private group that she's helping anyone of victims of sexual assault. So please message me or whatever, and I'll get you to Chris. But Chris, who's one of my um, women that I've watched just grow wings and soar, who was afraid to talk to the media and everything, didn't want to be identified. She reached out to the victims services last week and said, could we just stand? We don't, what I love about it, what was behind it, she said, we don't want to be Jane Doe's anymore. We are not the ones who are bad here. We are the victims and we are willing to put our names on this. He's the one that needs to be ashamed. And the judge came back and said, yep, you can stand. And that the, the thing that I loved about it best is my prosecutor prosecutor came up to you on, on um, Monday morning. And she goes, you guys are standing. And I go, yeah. And she goes, that's just so awesome. And I'm like, I know, right? Like that was just, they didn't know it was coming. And I mean, they didn't, they didn't know in advance it was coming. It wasn't anything they cooked up. It came from Chris and it, it really, what it really did. I think it's one of the things that got the survivors so fired up on Saturday night when we had a chance to meet a lot of the new folks that were coming to town. It's just this idea of, no, if you don't want to be a Jane Doe, you don't have to be. And if you heard in the back of the courtroom, Victor Hayes screamed to to Amy, say my name. It's not Jane Doe or John Doe. Say my name. How did that play on, on? Did you guys hear it? I heard, I heard him yell out and I had a feeling it was Victor (laughs) and, um, uh, but I couldn't see because it couldn't see back into the crowd. Um, and I figured it was him. If it was anyone, I figured it was Victor. And um, uh, yeah, it was uh, the emotion. Victor came in hot that morning. I, I happened to come in right when he did. We were going through. We had to go through being surged and being temperatured and all the things. I don't know. The temperature it's not a verb, but, you know, but having our temperature taken. Um, and so I, I tried to talk to him and he wasn't having it. And he was he was hell bent and he basically paced across the back of the room the whole time. He, he just was, he was agitated. And I, I just wish you could find a way to release a lot of this anger. Cause that's the one thing he has is he, he's still raw. And I'm sorry, after 40 years, he's still that raw. That's unfair. Well, it definitely, um, knowing that that's what he said right then, like that, I got the chills when you just said that because, you know, some of the coverage was, was clear on it. Some, you know, and it was kind of, kind of go, um, had it on in the, in the background. Then you start looking at it a little closer. So I actually missed that that part um, when when he did that. But hearing you say that, like that is powerful right there. Like that. And is- I thought that yeah, the Ooh. judge handled it really well too because I didn't 
I'm like, please judge. Don't yell at this guy. Like, not this guy, please. Just, he just needs to be acknowledged and he'll settle down. And he did. And the judge just was very, you know, the typical save that for your impact statement. But at the same time, that's probably the hardest thing is to sit there and not be able to be you in that room. Like you don't, yeah, it's just really hard. It's so about D'Angelo and the people. This isn't about the victims in a lot of ways. The, the prosecutors work really hard. In fact, I heard about how hard they worked ahead of time. If you imagine those poor people spent the last two and a half years building their cases, not to mention all the work they've been done before. And for, in my case in Ventura, Cheryl got seven minutes, seven minutes out of all the work she's done and all the work they don't get to show us seven minutes. So you can imagine wow. these little moments, even for them, were probably really important because it's they're there on behalf of the people. Oh, big, big stage, big spotlight right there. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. How many total victims were there, Jen, in, in, in the, the room? In the room? I want to say, I, I think I, I probably can do it better from how many we were missing. I would say we probably didn't have about 20. Um, I don't know how many all in were to come. You know, of course, I don't even know if any of the children were there because until Sacramento started to getting into all those, I admit, cases where at least he's taking responsibility for them, I had no idea how many little kids had been terrorized by this guy. And okay, it's 40 years later, they're 40 year olds, but you know, in their 40s, but that's awful. That's just awful. So, yeah. You can still be in your forties and have and and be angry and have bad memories and I mean that's that is I can't even imagine all the pent up emotion that is that is there. Like I'm surprised the top didn't blow off that building. So I it's interesting because I do believe in the in spirit. I do believe that my dead people were with me, and as I and when I woke up that morning, I didn't I slept better than I thought I would honestly. But I woke up and I was freezing like it, the inside yourself freezing you know that cold like the shower didn't help and then I realized and I felt really nauseous and I thought for sure I was going to vomit <laughs> in front of everybody which further than I was like chain reaction this is going to be ugly but um <laughs> I don't want like they're gonna have to stop pause to clean the carpet that's just gross Jen calm down but but I feel like this like not only were all my point is not only were all the victims there I think their parents were there I think our dead people were there I think the parents of our dead people were there. It was just what you were saying. If you're in any way like an empath, it felt heavy and and thick. And then, and then, then, then it felt like it was lifted. Like I don't even know. Mm. It's like it just. It's they started to maybe go. Maybe I hope they're going. Like it's okay. Got we got this, guys. It's good now. So that's your woo woo moment. But that's yeah. It's just that that. If you are, if you work that way in your, in your being, it was, it was thick. It was thick in the morning and, and awkward. And they put me right in front of him and I was so close and I didn't expect that either. So I turned my chair to face the lectern because I didn't want to face him. It was just too gross. So you didn't want to make eye contact uh, with Oh, I did him. in the afternoon. In the afternoon, it was better kind of regain my strength because my part was over and I could start to focus. And, at, but the thing is that he made eye contact like, do you remember when you were in school and you'd look at your teacher and you know you'd be looking at him, but you still weren't in there? Yeah, that's the kind of eye contact he made. It was just that, you know, are you still talking kind of look like, ugh, whatever. I, I didn't expect anything from him because he's got his own little thing going on. Was it weird for you, Jen, um, that this pacing off against him, he's just a man, he's just a, a guy? Did you have this huge buildup of a monster and then you see this? 
guy just sitting in front of you is just a, a... I did the first time I saw him. What I couldn't get over on Monday is, and I, I said this um, on my podcast, is most of us digest have digested these crimes, even if you come into the case, you've tended to digest them in bites. Like you read a couple or you hear about someone and you go learn their story. We've all kind of had this chance to digest it in bites. But in reality, on Monday, we ended up like binging, binge watching, right? And, and, and we weren't allowed to leave. I mean, some people did, but basically I was all in, like, I'm not leaving. This is all for one and one for all, right? And in the binge watch, you really get clear what a sadist he was. I mean, that's, I don't think I, I appreciated the sadism. I knew the sexual assaults. Um, and unfortunately, because of other things, I had to go learn a lot more about my dad and Charlene's case last week, which also was really hard for me. Um, but the sadism factor is what was starting to, that's what, I think that's what was making me so nauseated as I, cause I knew they were coming to me and they were, as they were telling Sherry Domingo's story and they were telling man, like the Mannings and uh, it was just building up. And I'm like, oh my God, by the time I got to Ventura, I was like, I, I'm already sick. Like, don't, don't even talk about the people I care about and love. I'm already sick that I'm just even in this room with all of this. So yeah, it, I, I know Mike, it's like this man, this stupid, stupid, stupid 74 year old man who's actually three girls father, which is the part I, I really can't believe. I don't even know what they're doing. I mean, I don't even know how they, how they're figuring that out. I don't know how they're figuring that out. I'm actually going to, do a podcast with Carrie Rawson because I want to talk to her about it. Like, what is that? What is it like on your side when I'm on my side? Like, cause I think we're both kind of the same in some ways. Yeah. There's definitely some similarities there, no matter what um, we, were his family in the court at all. Do you know? Mike, you would have heard better than I, I, from what I've heard, this um, is coming from somebody I don't want to name, but I, I heard that he has not spoken a word with his wife or daughter since the arrest. Uh, again, that's secondhand information. I did hear that there's a letter that he wrote them, um, oh. but I don't know anything besides that. Come on, more. Spill it. Give us your source. I, I, Spill I, it. I don't know. That's as much as I know. I really don't know anything else. Even I go to more for dirt. So just so we're clear. <laughs> he is. He, the gossip pod was named after Mike Morford. <laughs> he is a chatty, chatty Mikey. Yeah. He if was... I said anything more, it would definitely be gossip because I don't know anything else. <laughs> you know what I really am appreciating about this whole uh, case and seeing him on trial and hearing you talk about this and, um, you know, having everyone standing in unison and, and all of that, like this, um, even you saying that, and you're right, you don't even have to be spiritual to appreciate the fact that there were dead people there in, in people's, and that brought an energy to, to, to everything. It wasn't like literal spirits. It was the, the memory of dead people. It was the memory of family members, and that brought an energy to everybody in that courtroom. And I really love the fact that we are not glamorizing this man. We're, we're, he is, he's disgusting. We're not doing what we did to Ted Bundy. I know he's not the handsome, you know, anti-hero serial killer, but we're not doing that. We're not, we're not making him into this weird hero, the way that sometimes these uh, perpetrators are made into. And he, and we're all just saying for, we're, we're saying what he is. He, he is a, he's a vile human being. 
and and he was he's the the most like, like he he epitomizes the most rotten of what humans can be. I think you just nailed it. I mean, that's that's it. And I and, yeah. and potentially I had so many people come out of the woodwork and send me messages. People, you know, for, from my life, <laughs> never wait 40 years for a crime to be solved, like just everybody. Um, and I think what they learned on Monday that potentially nobody particularly grasped, including me, was the depth, the depravity, the predictable M.O. I, and honestly, I, I don't know who's on this call. I'm going to say something crass. Um I sorry. Go for it. I asked Chris Pedretti. I said, I need to understand this because as a woman, I kind of don't get this. Your hands are tied behind your back and you're supposed to, you know, tickle his fancy. How the hell? Because everything I've read that their hands were black, like they were tied so tight, either crisscrossed or together. I go, I go, Chris, you're 15. Like, what was that? She goes, oh, that's not even how they said it isn't even how it happened. Basically, all he does is throw you on your stomach, cry, climb on top of you and drag his penis across your hands back and forth. And I'm like, OK, that actually makes more sense to me. That's more power differential than it sounded in the descriptions on the stage on the stage I, maybe because we all now i'm saying too much personal about myself but we all have a paradigm that we use to just to understand those situations and um i couldn't understand i'm like i just don't understand how would this work when your hands are tied and everything else plus i never understand how you men trust any of us with your penises but that's a separate issue um seriously don't we're mad. i just don't get it it takes a tremendous amount of trust on your half. That's all I'm saying. Pick up your clothes, smart. do the laundry. That's right. That's what we tell you. Do the damn laundry, pick up your clothes and wash the dishes. Because honestly, we have a lot of power. But uh, to hear Chris describe it as being such a passive power differential, that makes so much more sense to me. Well, on that note, I'm going to jump off. And I uh, appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Have a good gossip pod. And anyone that wants to pop over after you guys are done. Who do you, gotta, who, who do you have on? I'm going to have Debbie Domingo on. Um, Great. Wants to pop over there. Hey, you know, I've always got a spot for you. Pop on over. Anyone else that wants to come over. Great. I'll probably be on there for a good hour, hour and a half or something. So cool. All right. Hopefully I see you guys. Pop on over. Thanks, Marv. All right. Take care, everyone. Stay, Stay safe. I really enjoyed when they called him on his bullshit um, with the way he uh, acts and the way he's he's rolled in there. And they were like, yeah, he was on a motorcycle. You know, he was observed on a motorcycle. He what did they say he was doing yard work too uh, a couple of days before. And he's just acting like he doesn't even know what's going on in there. What do you make of that? One tiny bit of. And I'm sharing this because I'm a little ticked about it, but I have to tell you, it also came from a reporter, but the reporter someone I trust very, very much who talked to the defense team. I had talked to them in the morning when I got there and I thanked them because, you know, as Michelle will tell you, if you don't have a good defense team, you're not going to have a good prosecution. So I said, I need to, th- they, we made eye contact because I'd had that meeting with them prior. And I, and I went up to him and I said, I, I need to thank you. And it's weird because I don't know quite how to do this, but without you guys, <laughs> this couldn't be happening right now. So I appreciate your role in this and I appreciate you managing to take care of his interests while absolutely taking care of ours. And that was really important to me. But so, so I, I'm sharing this because I think it's important and it shows you 
Michelle's going to love this. It shows you what happens with district attorneys. So what I was told that this reporter talked to the defense team, D'Angelo and the defense team wanted him to walk out and sit in a chair. That was absolutely the plan. Mm -hmm. And I, I won't give up the DA, but I did on a different podcast. So the DA who, you know, is from Sacramento uh, said that he had to be in a wheelchair because she wanted us to be angry. Mm. And I'm pissed about that because frankly, first of all, to be manipulated is kind of BS. Second of all, and I'm, I'll look for Michelle to help fill in on this and what goes on behind the scenes. But the deal is like, we were angry. Like we were a wreck. Why would you play us in that moment? That's mm -hmm. not cool. That's not, I would prefer the truth. But then it made for, as you might imagine, when the electeds got up during their press conference at the end of the day, their chance to create beautiful sound bites for their campaigns, right? And to show, you know, yeah, he was playing. Well, he he was playing the torpor catatonic crap. Yeah, I figured he was just meditating or something to not be there. But I don't like being manipulated. That was just not the day to manipulate us. I don't know how else to describe it. Michelle, what do you think? I'll take over the interview now, guys. Lance, you're out. No, um, great. First of all, this is First of all, good to see you. And let me tell you, Jen, um, you were in my thoughts, my heart all day on Monday. I watched as much of it as I could because I was still working. But, you know, as much as I could could watch, you know, you and all the rest of the the survivors and family members, um, you were in my heart all day. And I could it was exhausting for me to watch. I could only imagine how exhausting it was for you to actually live. So to your question, <laughs> Um, you know, and this is kind of something that as you were talking, you know, I was thinking about it. And this is a question that I don't have the answer to, which is, you know, should district attorneys be elected? You know, there are judges that are elected. Right. There's, there's the district attorneys are elected. Now, me and my in my job as an assistant district attorney, I'm hired and appointed. I serve at the will of the of the district attorney that I that I work for in right. Suffolk County. Um, I can determine I would say salaried employees. Yeah. yeah, your salaried employees. Yeah. And you guys, I, I really do adore. I love you guys because you guys do the freaking work. So, yes. OK. But you know, there is there is that that thing where, you know, I mean, and I'm I'm really lucky and, and I can and I'm not just saying this because I'm working for the office I work for. I'm really, really lucky that the district attorney that I work for is a really genuinely good person, which is why I wanted to go work there. Um, and it's, it's hard when you're mixing politics and sound bites and press releases and, and this and that into the, into the whole thing. And, you know, like sometimes you, know, you watch it and when you're behind the scenes or you spend a lot of time watching these things and watching these stories unfold, you know, it kind of, I think that it sours people, the whole sound bite thing. Like what we want to hear, what I, I mean, what I want to hear, I want to hear you. I want to hear I want to, I, you know, I, I want to hear the the survivors and the family, and I want to hear what you have to say. But you know, at the same time, too, there is that expectation that people have with a press conference and what they're going to be told. You know, we live in soundbite nation right now, and you know, that's what that's oh what people God, yes. right. That's what people want. You know, the people that want to hear everything that you're saying is. You know, is everybody in this room? Is everybody who's watching on like the simulcast, yeah. right? Because we are right? so I mean, in yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. It's this group. Yeah, it's they're a different breed of human mm -hmm. that want to know more. And I honestly argue that the true crime followers that I've experienced 
are super committed to the process and to the victims and to and to due process for both sides yeah. honestly they just they really want it to work so that the things that we do are true and so yeah i totally agree michelle and you know something when it's when you have a really good defense attorney and a defense attorney that you have a good relationship with and you have you know and you know that they're intelligent and they don't fight dirty like that's what makes for a good time in court because you have the worthy opponent you know like the best cases that i've done whether it's been a trial or worked out a plea has been just with like a really a really good defense attorney who you know we both know what our jobs are but it's not personal and, and you know just one more thing about the defense attorneys so i'll just add this and um share this with the audience that one of the things that I learned, because I was super afraid on Friday, again, this is so, such a, Michelle and I'll take this, guys. Um, on Friday, when in Orange County, the, the, a defense attorney in Orange County filed suit against the Orange County, I don't know who, for letting files out and, and not managing their, their, in, their files and things in a way that was protecting the rights of defendants. Well, of course, with that lawsuit, then it basically confirmed what we had heard from Michelle McNamara that she left with 36 boxes of files from Orange County. I got confirmation when in the pre-screen, and I hope it's not in the final, but in the pre-screen, mm -hmm. there was a picture of my dad and Charlene dead in the bed in one of the episodes of the HBO docuseries. And I lost it. I lost it. And then, it, and I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to see it. And then I was like, wait, how would they even have gotten that? And then I realized the files were taken. And so I was super afraid on Friday we were going to have a continuance for Monday mm -hmm. not for any other reason than um what is it ineffective, ineffective counsel, counsel, or, yeah yeah mm -hmm. like they would almost have to time out to just make sure there were no procedural or technical issues mm -hmm. that they would have to to litigate on on behalf of Joseph Tangelo so my prosecutor when I talked to her on Friday said don't worry about it, it's fine well it turns out behind the scenes the defense team worked overtime like a beast to make sure that nothing that was let go of to McNamara would in any way affect D'Angelo. Oh. So I want to hold them up as heroes mm -hmm. because that they did that solid, not only for Joseph, because that was what their responsibility was, mm -hmm. but I truly believe they also did it for us. Mm -hmm. And that is that's freaking amazing. That is some stand up humans right there. To do that so that we didn't have a continuance on Monday morning so we could get it done. And that's it that is respect for for the process. It's respect for the judicial system. That's the way that things should work. That's the way that it that's the way Yay. that it should go. Okay, good. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's like being a good person. I mean, that's just the be doing the right thing. Isn't this whole case like the the whole Golden State Killer, exactly how it all should work. It, it was this cold case, and then this uh, interested party, the citizen detective, looked into it, and she got really deep into it, and she formed the right relationship with law enforcement. And all the way up until, like, you know, you have... It, it, it literally waited for DNA testing. It didn't know. I'm saying the case is as, like, a... I'm putting, like a, like, a human persona on it. It didn't know that DNA testing was going to happen, but it's almost like the case... All of this waited for everything to fall into place. And then and then when, when Michelle died, the right people picked up the gauntlet and started going with it. And now you two are talking about how this is the perfect way that it has to end legally, too. It's just such a such a poetic... Tragically poetic, I guess, but... Jen, you're you're smiling right now. This is a good day. 
lots of people didn't do true, their jobs. True. A lot of people mm-hmm. didn't do their jobs right. And I have a problem with our citizen investigator per se, because yeah, that's a separate issue. <laughs> but I have a problem because my files are out. I really have a problem right. with that. It's, it last week added to my hell at a level I can't even explain that I had to go here exactly because the other thing that happens on the HBO docuseries, and I don't know if they'll remove this, but I've asked them to, is Paul Hull says something that's just simply not true about my dad and Charlene. And I don't want that in there because it's not true. It also, now that we've all sat through the MO a thousand times, it can't be true. I mean, it just wouldn't fit. And yet, and yet he uses it kind of as a sensational quote. So I asked him on Monday at the hearing to please, because I've tried to ask HBO to take it out. I'm not, I don't know what they're going to do, but I've asked um, strongly. But I told Paul, to, I, I'm holding him accountable because it's his thing. He used, uh, he based his, his theory on a document from 2002 when Larry Poole, who I also got to see on Monday, was shopping the crimes, as you, uh, Michelle, again, could fill you in on this, but they created a narrative, not mm-hmm. a murder book, a narrative such that they could share with jurisdictions across the U.S. and I, and as I understood it, internationally, to see if anyone fit this pattern so that they could try to find out if he had moved on or was somewhere else and criming in another area. So this narrative is what Paul Holes based his comment on, which I was able to verify, but that's 18 years old. So much more has come out with all the interviews with victims again and everything that we know it's not true. So that those files leaving Orange County have caused me so much extra grief. I can't even tell you. I think a part of it is is that with something that is this this big and this epic, it's literally, and I'm not even using the word, you know, colloquially, it, it is epic the way that this entire case turned out. But you know, your story is not just owned by you anymore. Your story is owned by all of us. And you know, that's the, really, and yeah. you know, I think we talked about that in, in Morph's, um a uh, live stream like like one week you know like for for you it's your story and for us it's a part of our history and you know for you're living you're living your loss and all of these things every single day and for us it's something that you know we we talk about i think that you know on on morph some um, get vocal i'd use yeah. the I'd use the example of of 9 11 like i worked down um, off canal street uh, when 9 11 was going on and um, in the aftermath of 9-11, I should say, I was supposed to be in the city that day and I wasn't. So I was working there and I was feeling the after effects and seeing the people and seeing the, um, you know, the rescue workers and hearing and smelling and everything, but I wasn't there when it happened. So it wasn't, it's not my story to, to, to tell, but it's something, it's an event that's a part of my history that I had my tiny little piece of. And I think that that applies a lot to true crime because you know when you know talking about your talking about you know your your family members or talking about you know the the other victims you know the survive the surviving the sister survivors everybody you know that's things that happened to them and to you and to everybody is intensely personal and it was simulcast across the internet in the form of a play <laughs> and you know that's yeah, right. and it becomes you know we're all taking a little bit of that in and there are going to be people who are going to take too much and when i was watching the i watched the the first episode of the hbo series in anticipation of having um and having this conversation and you know one of the things that that i thought was 
you know, I mean, first it's very stylized. It's very Liz Garbus. You know, you can pick her work out of a, out of a lineup any day, but it's only, it's only one story in 40 plus years of stories. There's so, there's so many stories to tell. There's your story that has stories within stories. And, you know, one of the things that I was listening to you say before that, you know, the prosecutor got seven minutes to, to talk and give the recitation of facts that would be the basis of the allocution. And, you know, that is a lot. Like when I would do, when I, even when I did, um, even when I did homicide, please, you know, it would be you know, on, on such and such a date, time and place of occurrence, the defendant did cause the death of this other person by fill in, fill in the blank, you know, do you admit, is that true? Yes. Okay. And then you move on. It's not, it, it, it was you know, to hear it, like them actually taking the time to give each family, each survivor, each human being in that room, like their due. That was like, once I heard that happening, I was like, okay, somebody thought about this. Somebody did this right.